The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. The word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. We're here this morning to study in the word of God. We are in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. And we've been working on this for a while. We did the translation work, and now we are looking at principles. And again, because we've had some uh, intermittent, not only with regard to my, my uh, presence to teach the classes, but also folks that have attended, we are going to do a, a quick review of what we've covered so far on the principles before we move on to new material this morning. Before we do any of that, of course, we need to make sure that we are properly prepared for the study of the Word of God. This entails confession of sin if necessary so that we might be in fellowship, uh, walking by means of the Spirit and so on, so that we can uh, be able to yield to the, the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, who helps us to understand these things. And it's very important also uh, as we take this moment for silent prayer, it's very important also to make sure that we're humble because without humility, none of us are teachable. If we think we know everything, then we don't know anything. So let's take a moment to properly prepare ourselves for the study of the Word of God. Shall we pray? Most gracious and merciful and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for blessing us with this opportunity to gather here at the church this morning for all the grace provisions that made this possible. We ask that you would help us to not only be thankful for what you've done in giving us this opportunity, but to take full advantage of it so that we might learn exactly what you want us to learn this morning as we consider the truth of your word. And Father, we pray that it won't be just something that we just learn and then stick in a notebook somewhere, but it's something that we actually take to heart, that we dwell upon these things. We allow these things to do what you've designed them to do in the transforming of our minds. We ask, Father, that you will actually uh, help us to remember these things when we have the opportunity to make application in our daily lives. So we are thankful for the precious truth of your word and how it helps us to understand the world that we live in. But Father, we ask this morning that you would help us to take these truths to heart that these things would be vivid and real in our thinking and that we would glorify you and honor our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in all that we do. We pray these things in his most precious and beautiful name. Amen. All right. Principles. Again, we're going to go quickly through these. I'm going to read the translation uh, real quickly here. Verses 16 through 26. Now I say by... I say walk by means of the Spirit and you will definitely not carry out the lust of the flesh. For the flesh has desires contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit contrary to the flesh. For these are enemies of one another with the result that you may not do the things that you want to do. But since you're being led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the products of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, moral impurity, debauchery, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, discord... Outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, heresies, envying, drunken sprees, excessive partying, and things like these, of which I tell you in advance, just as I have previously warned you, that those who consistently engage in such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law that prohibits such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and lusts, since we are spiritually alive by means of the Spirit, let us also behave in accordance with the Spirit. Let us not become arrogant, provoking one another, envying one another. So that's our translation. And quickly, we will go through the principles that we've already looked at. First of all, it's very important. I'm not going to go into the details I have in the past. This is review. At the moment of salvation, every born-again believer is given the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's not something you wait for after salvation, as some would say. The moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you have received the Holy Spirit. He dwells within you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. This grace blessing for believers in the current dispensation of the church was not given to Old Testament saints. And we looked at a couple of verses that highlighted that, how the Spirit was taken away from Saul. And David pleaded that the Spirit not be taken away from him. That's not a prayer that you need to make today because the promise has been given by God and he is faithful that you have the Spirit and you will have the Spirit. It's a permanent indwelling. 
So you don't have to worry about the spirit being taken away as they did. That's one of the blessings, by the way, that we have in this, this current stewardship, this current dispensation of the church is that we have that permanent indwelling. But to whom much is given, much is required. So as we have this incredible blessing of being constantly indwelled by the, the spirit, of course, filling is another matter, right? We can lose the filling. We can regain the filling. But the constant indwelling of the spirit, much more is required of us because of that. At the moment of salvation, we were also made spiritually alive by means of the Spirit, Titus 3.5. The Holy Spirit made us alive together with Christ. We can go on to other passages as well. Given that, it follows that we should live our lives by means of the Spirit. In other words, if we were made alive initially, born again by means of the Spirit, doesn't it make sense that you would continue on by means of the Spirit? It does to me. So that's, that's a simple a conclusion in Colossians 2.6, very important passage, as we have received him, so also walk in him. When we live our lives by means of the Spirit, we absolutely will not carry out the lust of the flesh. Now, I didn't highlight a verse there because it's part of our passage, Galatians 5.16. If you walk by means of the Spirit, you absolutely will not carry out the lust of the flesh. So this is one of the many... We talked about this is one of the many grace provisions God has given us to allow us to maintain fellowship with him to be filled with the Spirit, and so on. These are all the ones listed. Now, confession of sin is given to us for when we fail. Interestingly, I had a great conversation yesterday with Pastor John Hintz from Tucson Bible Church, and he recommended a book to me called Left of Bang. It sounds like an interesting title, doesn't it? But basically what it was was some training in the military where they uh, were training the, the people that were uh, engaged in certain activities to perceive potential problems and avoid them. In other words, don't, don't deal with what's happened after you hit the IED and your vehicle explodes. Figure out what goes on beforehand and avoid the IED in the first place. Now, that sounds like a simple concept, but it's not, right? That's quite, that's quite involved in order to get to that place. And what John Hintz mentioned to me is that this is actually a pretty good picture of what it should be in the Christian spiritual walk. We should avoid the IED. In other words, we don't want to step on the line and blow up and be, be in, this, in sin and have to resort to confession of sin. Now, I'm thankful that God's given us that because we do mess up from time to time. But the goal should be to walk in a manner where you avoid sin in the first place. That should be the goal. Now, here's some things we have that will help us to avoid sin in the first place. This is, this is what we do after the landmine has gone off, right? This is what we do. We've already fallen into sin. We confess. We, have, we confess and we get back into uh, fellowship. We also uh, walk by means of the Spirit. We also yield to the Holy Spirit. We yield to the will of God. There's all those things that we've talked about that are part of maintaining fellowship. But look at what else God has given us. The idea that we can put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Literally, the idea, the picture of wearing our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, Laying aside the old self and putting on the new self. This is something we can do with the help of God. Obviously, God, is, God has to make it happen. We have to be willing to do this, to ask the Lord to help us to put, put aside the old self and put on the new self. The renewing of the mind, Romans 12, 2, extremely important. Because as, as our mind is renewed, we begin to be able to understand the traps and the snares. And we begin to understand good and bad. And we begin to uh, be able to understand... Uh, righteousness and sin with more clarity as we have the renewing of the mind. So all of these things help us to avoid sin in the first place, to say left of bang instead of right of bang. Right of bang is after it's already blown up. Then also the receiving of the word implanted. And I've talked about it before. Thy word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Right. The idea is as the, as the word of God, as we grow in the things of the word of God, we are... Have, we have an, an extra layer, if you will, of protection against sin. The Word of God itself in our hearts will help us. Laying aside of sin and, sin and encumbrances. We talked about laying aside the old self and putting on the new self. This is laying aside of sin itself and the encumbrances. Not just sin, but the encumbrances that present a roadblock, if you will, to our spiritual path, our spiritual progress. It might not be sinful at all. It's just something that's an encumbrance, and we need to lay that aside. This is important, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. We're oriented 
as Christians, we should be oriented to the Holy Spirit we have within us. This whole passage is talking about the spirit versus the flesh, right? The spirit versus the flesh, the spirit versus the flesh. And we should be oriented to the Holy Spirit and his role in our daily walk. Very important to understand the role of the Holy Spirit in your daily walk. But you have to also, as, as a born-again believer, you need to fix your eyes on your Savior, Jesus. And one of the things that happens there, I've talked about this before, is it takes you back to the cross. I don't think that we, as believers, should take the cross and put it somewhere in, in, in our history and say, oh, yeah, I, I believed in Jesus. That was back then. We go back to the cross all the time. We have to. We have to because we, the life that we live and the grace blessings that we have and all the things are all a function of what God did for us through his son, Jesus Christ. So fixing our eyes on him, this verse, this verse here in this passage, walking by means of the spirit, very important. You're going to hear more about that next hour, actually. Our, our guest speaker is going to talk about walking by means of the spirit and then putting spiritual qualities into use. So God has instilled in us many spiritual qualities, including agape love and brotherly love and patience and all these other things. He's instilled these things in us and these things as you can probably understand from this passage, these things also fit into the category of the fruit of the Spirit. But these spiritual qualities, they're great, they're awesome, but they need to be put into use. This passage in Second Peter says, if you practice these things, which means put them into use, if you actually put them into use in your life, they act as a protection against sin. While you are putting those things into use, you will not sin. You will definitely never stumble. That's what it says. So these are all things that God has given us to keep us on the right track. The, con- the first one I mentioned, confession of sin, is when you got off track and you need to get back on track. But hopefully, to me, you know, that's one of those things where it's like if, you, if, you have, if you've been trained, if you have a weapon and you've been properly trained as to how to use a weapon, a personal, personal protective handgun, whatever it might be, whatever it is, a weapon, you should want to be very, very, very capable of using that weapon, and you should also want to never have to use it, right? You should want to never have to use it. That is how you should view confession of sin. You should understand confession of sin. You should understand why God has given it to us. You should want to never have to use it. That's the way you should view it. We need to understand that something not good dwells within our flesh. That is the sin nature. That's something we battle against. I've taught, we had a whole series I taught on the world of flesh and the devil. Our three main enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And something no good, something not good at all, the sin nature dwells within our flesh, Romans 7:18. When we live according to the flesh, we cannot please God in anything we do. Now, that's not just true. Of unbelievers, it's true of believers. Believers that are walking according to the flesh, they cannot please God. That's a carnal believer is the term we have for that. A carnal believer is not pleasing to God. And in fact, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will actually take on a different form of ministry in our lives when that happens. If we're walking by means of the Spirit, if we're walking in the light as He is in the light, if we're in fellowship, filled with the Spirit, I can throw all these terms at you. If we're walking the way we're supposed to walk then the Holy Spirit is bearing fruit. All the fruit that we looked at, love, joy, peace, patience, all these things are being born in our lives and he's giving us guidance, the leading of the Spirit and so on. We have all these wonderful ministries of the Spirit. When you fall into sin, his primary ministry is to convict you of your sin. And the way David described it is the the hand, hand of God was heavy upon him. And that is the convicting ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, trying to convict you that you are in sin. So you're not pleasing to God and the Holy Spirit is trying to convict you that you're not walking as you should. Therefore, it's critical to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. And that's when we took some time. If you haven't seen it, go back and look at the lesson. We took some time to go through the slideshow that talks about the soul and all that can happen, the scar tissue that can form as we we, uh, engage in sinful activities, especially for extended periods of time. Our spiritual life is a continual, continual battle between the flesh and the spirit. It never stops. I don't know if you've noticed that. I don't ever get, I don't ever get to call a timeout. <laughs> it doesn't happen. It's a continual battle. Uh, and as a result, we may do things that we, that we do not want to do. And so one of the things you have to recognize, part of the reason Paul talked about that in Romans chapter 7, and part of the reason I want to emphasize it is, you're going to stumble every once in a while. I don't want you to 
embrace that as something that's good. Don't think of that as good. It is something bad when you stumble into sin. But understand that we, we will fail from time to time. And God knew that. And that's why he gave us the provisions that he did for being re- restored. Now, here's the whole thing. There's going to be certain things that are going to happen and you're going to sit there and you're just going to go, why did I do that? What am I thinking? And you can beat yourself up and become discouraged. But what you need to recognize is that in eternity past, God knew that that was going to happen. And he has a provision for you. He's given you the way to go on from there. And I don't mean to say to you to just just think lightly of it. I don't want you to think lightly of sin. I would never preach that. But I don't want you to be absolutely crushed by sin either in other words you can get what can happen is i've talked about this before is you can get in what i call the the cycle of sin what happens is you fall into sin and then you feel guilty about what you did which is a sin in of itself and now you get caught in this little cycle of sin where you can't seem to break out of sin you're just caught in discouragement and guilt and all these other things that are holding you captive under sin and that's not what god has for you So what you need to do is when you confess and when you're restored to fellowship, when you're walking by means of the Spirit, yielding to the Spirit, you need to pray to God and say, God, help me know what I did wrong. Help me to not do that again. And you need to go to God and ask Him for for the help in guiding you to to avoid that sin the next time, avoid the temptation and whatever else it is. So that's that's the answer. You don't want to get caught up in that, but you need to understand that from time to time we are going to fail. Now, temptations may come our way, but it's when we give in to the temptations that we sin. That's in James chapter 1. Very important to understand. You you have not done anything wrong if a temptation comes your way. What did Satan do? He tempted Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days. Jesus didn't sin. Satan was tempting him. And by the way, the language of that is not that Satan tried to tempt him. Satan tempted him. He put temptations before our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, of course, passed the test every time. But the point is, if you find yourself under temptation, you haven't done anything wrong. But it's how you respond to that temptation. That's where you have an opportunity to either glorify God or to fall into sin. God will now not allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able to bear. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that's a promise he's made. He will not bring you a temptation that you're unable to bear. Remember this, that God knows your heart better than you do. I know some of you probably don't believe what I'm about to say on that that, that regard, but he does. He knows you better than you do because we hide things from ourselves. We do. God knows you better than you do, and he he knows exactly what you're able to bear, and he's not going to give you something that's beyond what you're able to bear. Relying upon the Holy Spirit and the Word of God implanted in our souls is critical during times of temptation in order to avoid sin. And we looked at that Luke 4 passage. That's the temptation of of Christ. Relying upon the leading of the Spirit is critical in ascertaining the specific details of the will of God for our lives. We looked at Romans 8.14. I mentioned when we talked about this that the general marching orders, it's in our Bible. Read the Scriptures, right? We have instructions from God as to how to live our lives as far as general marching orders, right? Don't you think we're supposed to pray without ceasing? And all things give thanks. You know, go, I can go on. Rejoice always. It says specifically in that passage that that's the will of God for you. So there's all kinds of ways as you study the scriptures that you can learn the general will of God. And by the way, that's going to answer 99% of the questions. I, by the way, I'll put it before you. There are those of you who in this church have heard me say this exact thing. If you're up before a decision and you're not certain what decision to make, ask yourself, if I make this decision, is it going to glorify God? And if the answer is no, then that's not the right decision. And sometimes it can be literally that simple. I mean, sometimes we make it more complicated, but it can be literally that simple. So if you understand the general will of God for your life, it's going to answer 99% of your questions. In other cases, there's specific details of the will of God that I can't answer for you. And the Bible doesn't give you a specific answer. But if you prayerfully consider it, James chapter 1 says, if you're seeking wisdom, God will give it to you without reproach. So seek the will of God. He will, un- he will help you understand what his will is. And that comes through the leading of the Spirit. Again, talking to Pastor John Hintz, one of the things he said, he was, I, I, I was talking about it before class. I'm sitting here talking to him on the phone for probably, what, 45 minutes or so? 
And uh, and, it, and it was we, we had a, a really interesting, fairly deep theological discussions, and yet John made me laugh almost the whole time. Uh, it's what he does, right? And so we were sitting there talking, and he said, you know, the Bible says that the Spirit talks to us in a still, small voice. I want to ask God, why didn't he just yell at me? I need you to yell at me. Or, you know, send me a text message, something, right? Where, you know, he, why the still, small voice? So and that was, of course, John's sense of humor. Uh, <clears throat> this leading comes from the Spirit within our souls. It gives us the opportunity to volitionally respond and then put into action. It's up to us, right? We, we, get, we get the leading. You can reject the leading of the Spirit, or you can follow it. It's up to you. You have volition. But the leading of the Spirit will never contradict the Word of God. Very important. Very important to understand this. If you feel like you're being led to do something and it's, it's contrary to what the Word of God says, you're being led by a Spirit all right. But it's not the Holy Spirit. Be very careful about that. He will never contradict the Word of God. When we're walking in accordance with the Spirit, the law is actually fulfilled in us. This is important for this passage because remember what Paul is dealing with with the Galatian churches? The law is fulfilled in you. When you walk by means of the Spirit. In other words, you don't have to then try to fulfill the details of it. If you're bearing forth the fruit of the Spirit, remember what that passage tells us. If you're bearing forth the fruit of the Spirit, you're fulfilling the law. Those things fulfill the law. Right? It's all fulfilled. Then we started looking at this last time. The sin nature in the flesh produces, this is, this is what we finished with right here, sexual immorality. We looked at Matthew 15, 19, 1 Corinthians 6, 13, and 6, 18. Moral impurity, we looked at Ephesians 4, 17 through 19, and Romans 6, 19. We'll go back and look at these passages because this is what we just started with last time. Uh, Jesus said here in Matthew 15, 19, this is sexual immorality. The idea says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, fornications, Thefts, false witnesses, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. So we hear in this list of things he gave, there's, there's more than one sexual sin, the adultery and the fornication. You all understand the difference between those two? Fornication is basically sex outside of marriage. Adultery is sex outside of marriage when you're married, Right? Adultery is specifically for somebody who's married than having sex outside of the marriage. Fornication is just sex outside of marriage for anyone. So when you're, when you're committing adultery, you're fornicating also. Yes? Well, Jesus taught about that, that, yeah, if you lust after someone, you basically have committed the sin, the sin itself. Now, interestingly, what's interesting about that, by the way, is those, that the passage where he talks about that is actually a section where he's, he's actually referring to kingdom law. It's actually something that is a reference to future kingdom law, but is there application to us today? There is. Yeah, there's application for us today. But it's specifically, it's the Sermon on the Mount. He's specifically talking about the uh, kingdom law that will be enacted yet future. 1 Corinthians 6.13, food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, that's sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. The body that we have is not to be used for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. So we need to understand that God has a purpose for what, what we're doing. And, of course, we also understand that this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Are you going to take the temple of the Holy Spirit and go into a prostitute with it? I mean, that's, that's kind of one of the questions that was asked. <laughs> flee, it says here in 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee immorality, that's sexual immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Very important concept. So admonition against sexual immorality, moral impurity, Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. So I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles, and that's used for unbelievers here, just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. This is moral impurity. Now, remember, there's a difference here. Moral impurity goes beyond the idea of just simply sexual sins. Moral impurity crosses the whole gamut of everything that we consider right and wrong and moral, right? The whole moral standard. Of course, the moral standard we care about is that which comes from God. But this could be immoral behavior in the workplace, your business. It could be immoral behavior 
it just fill in the blank, right? Immoral behavior across the board. Romans 6.19, and this, by the way, I changed it. I did translate it as immorality, but it's talking about the same thing here. More, It's not talking about sexual immorality. It's talking about moral impurity. It says, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented the members of your body as slaves to immorality and to lawlessness. That's why he couples those together, right? The idea of moral, moral impurity, lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now... Present the members of your body as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. And again, isn't that really the standard? When it says righteousness here, it's not talking about our, our standard of righteousness. It's talking about God's standard of righteousness. And that's why I did discuss last time, I talked about the idea that there are too many Christians that they look at their life as, if I can just abide by a moral code of some kind, then I'm doing what God wants me to do. I, I have this moral code, and it becomes almost a legalistic observance of a moral code. And that's not how God works in us. The way it works is you follow God, you walk by means of the Spirit, you do what he has for you to do, and the morality that we display is a function of what God is doing in us. It's not what we're, uh, it's not what we're striving to do. It's what is produced in us by God, that moral purity. It comes from God. It's not like we have this list of items. I've got to follow all these items in the moral code. But there's too many Christians that get caught up in that kind of an idea. You know, I can't let this happen. I can't do this. I can't do this. As long as I dot all these I's and cross all these T's, I'm doing fine. Well, no, if you're doing it by, by, if you're doing it by the power of the flesh, you're not glorifying God with it. You need to allow him to do it in you. Debauchery, Second Peter chapter 2. Verses 18 and 19, this is all new here. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. This idea of sensuality, the fleshly desires, the debauchery, and the idea is that these, these individuals, by the way, if you haven't studied Second Peter chapter 2, this is the false teachers, this is the ones who lead the people astray, this is the ones who unfortunately cause some Christians, born again, going to go to heaven when they die, they cause Christians to return to their vomit. Basically, they go back and behave just like an unbeliever would, even though they're born again. And these individuals, they throw out all these things in arrogance and they entice with fleshly desires, with sensuality. By the sensuality there means... Anything that appeals to the senses. It's talking about anything that appeals to your senses. It can be any, anything across the board, all of your senses, whatever it is. Those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. See, I like that. They're, they're telling you all about the freedom that you're going to have. But yet they're actually slaves of corruption. They themselves. Interestingly, this is very much a big deal as far as why some individuals resist the gospel. Because they believe that if they place their faith in Jesus Christ and they become a born-again Christian, then all of a sudden they're going to be locked up under all these rules and regulations, and now they're not going to have any freedom anymore. And so somebody who wants to deter somebody from placing their faith in Christ, somebody who wants to steer somebody away from the gospel, they can promise them freedom. Look, at you can do it. You have all this freedom. But in reality, we know... From the scriptures, we know that as, as unbelievers, we were slaves to sin. Utter slaves. Yes. Is that what the world is doing to people now? The world is doing that to people right now. Absolutely. Uh, that's what's going on with the, the destruction, in my opinion, of our culture in this country and around the world. Is Look at all this freedom you can have. You can do anything. You, can, you know, you're a boy. You can be a girl. Right? Any of that. You can, you can do anything you want. Right? I'm giving you all this freedom. But in reality, you're actually a slave. You think you're free, but you're actually a slave. And the people that are talking to you are slaves as well. Jude, uh, verse 4, for certain persons have crept in. These are the creeps, right? They creep in. They're creeps. They've crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness. And y'all, all the fancy word, you know what that means? A license to sin. Licentiousness is a license to sin. You've got all the freedom you want to sin. And deny our Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what people do, right? They, they, they steer you toward these things, toward this kind of debauchery. Then we have idolatry. 
Very important to understand the problem of idolatry, and it's not something that's in the past. It's something that's present today. Colossians 3, 5, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to fornication, immorality, sinful passion, lust, evil, and insatiable greed, which amounts to idolatry. In other words, you don't have to have a little, the little statue on your fireplace mantle and worship that little statue to be an idolater. You, anytime you... Anytime you lust after all of these things, right? Anytime you serve any of these things and worship any of these things, you have become an idolater. And it, you know, we can go, we could run the whole gamut. How, what, can, what, can, what can be an idol? Almost anything can be an idol. The bottom line is, is if you're worshiping something that's not God, that's idolatry. That's what it comes down to. So we got to remember that, and I think, it's, I think it's almost hilarious that we have television show it's been around for a long time american idol they're just right out there with it right they're not even they're not even shy about talking about idolatry they think it's fine but you got to remember there's all kinds of ways to get involved in idolatry this is a verse that just is real simple in first corinthians 10 14 it says therefore my beloved flee from idolatry flee from idolatry well what's the context in all of this it's the verse we were talking about just a little bit ago no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, will provide terrible translation, not the way of escape. Will provide the perfect conclusion also, so that you will be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. In other words, if you're tempted to worship something that's not God, run, run, Forrest, run, <laughs> right. <laughs> Get away from it as quick as you can. Sorcery. Deuteronomy 18. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, one who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who casts a spell, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls upon the dead. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord, and because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. Now, here's the thing I want you to remember. That's the instruction that we have in Deuteronomy. We talk about that we're not under law but under grace. Do you think this still applies today? I say so. That's how you have to look at the things that were given in the Mosaic Law and say, okay, it says thou shalt not murder. You think that applies today? I think it does. If you go through, you look at the things that are given in the law, and you understand there's application for us today. I can give you one simple example of how this works. This particular passage talks about sorcery. In the New Testament, it talks about sorcery. So that now brings the Old Testament passage in Deuteronomy into play. It's now valid for us today. That this passage that talks about all the divination and the different things, it's valid and applicable for our lives today. Does that make sense? It's been brought forward and applicable. Now, again, we have instruction that tells us that there's been a once and for all sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ, which means, you know what? We don't have to bring turtle doves or lamb or rams or whatever. We don't have to bring those to church with us and do a sacrifice because the once and for all sacrifice has happened. So this is how you rightly divide the word of truth and you understand what applies and what doesn't. Does that, does that follow? You guys with me on that? Yes, sir. Yep. In this Bible reading, yep. Yes, it was interesting in the passage. No, so, okay, so, so you've you got to remember the context of that. So Joseph talked about that in our Bible reading this, this week. Joseph talked about that he had the authority, the right to use divination, right? Uh, you remember, if you remember the context at the time, he hadn't revealed himself yet. So, and, right. But he, but, but see, just even beyond that, even beyond that, he was actually he was actually pretending to be just like any other Egyptian at the time, and so he hadn't revealed himself to his brothers yet, and so he was trying to paint a picture for them that looked like he was just an ordinary Egyptian. See, that's when you have to read that passage in context, and so that's where he was coming from on that. He wasn't really thinking that. It was just like he was trying to he was trying to keep them in the in that picture that he was just somebody and and he wasn't their brother. Right. 
yeah, the law had not been given yet, but yet they still lived under conscience, you know, conscience, the idea of being guided by conscience. And I think at that point, even then, I mean, I think Joseph knew that divination was not right. What's interesting is so the law had already been given uh, and very clearly the law had already been given when Saul came along. And what did Saul do? (laughs) What did Saul do? He called up a medium and said, all right, can we bring up Samuel for me? Please bring up Samuel, right? So uh, Saul, Saul should have known better, right, in that case, clearly, because the law had already been given. But I believe in that passage we're talking about. I've studied that. We taught on the life of Joseph. And um, that passage, he's, again, he's really just painting a picture for them. I don't think he really intended to be involved in that. Um, but anyway, these, these, things are not, these things are not okay. They weren't okay back then, and they're not okay today. What about enmities? You think that's what God wants for us is enmities? Ephesians 2, 13 through 16. But now in Christ Jesus, you who, were, who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Both groups, what are we talking about here? Anybody? Jews and Gentiles. Correct. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. Now, this is specifically the enmity between Jew and Gentile, but this paints a picture of what God sees in regard to enmity. Christ himself came came to end that enmity between Jew and Gentile. I don't think, by the way, if you go back and study the scriptures, I don't believe that the enmity that existed, especially at the time of Christ, I don't think that that enmity was what God ever intended in the first place because he actually wanted the Jews to be evangelists and take the message out to the Gentiles, and instead they despised the Gentiles. They hated them. I don't think that's what he intended, but Christ put that, that whole issue to bed, if you will. James 4.4, 4, this is very important to understand this. When he says here, adulteresses, he is not talking about sexual sins. He's talking about spiritual adultery here. Adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world is set apart as an enemy of God. And that, he's talking to believers here. We're not supposed to be friend, friendly with the world. Now, we are in the world, but not of the world. You understand the difference? I mean, if I want to be able to, if I want to be able to get from point A to point B, I have to stop at the local gas station and get gas in my car. I have to function in the world that I live in. I have to understand how to get by in the world because that's where God has me right now. But I'm not of the world. I'm not engaged in it. I'm not a friend of the world. I'm not buying into the world system nonsense that's going on all around us. So you don't want to be an enemy of God, I hope. And so if you want to avoid that, then you need to avoid being a friend of the world because this clearly says that's what's going on. And by the way, this, these two passages, all right, these two passages talked about enmity between Jew and Gentile, talked about enmity between us and God if we're a friend of the world. Do you think he wants us to have enmity between us as individuals? I don't think so. We'll, we'll kind of address that a little bit in terms of discord. Discord, 1 Corinthians 1, 11, uh, right at the very beginning, it says, For I've been formed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Remember, he eventually addresses the idea of the schisms in the, in the Bible church there at Corinth. Not my term, that's Pastor Bob's, but anyway, Corinth Bible Church. Uh, there, were, there are quarrels among you, right? And that's not presented in a good way here. Uh, the idea of I am of Paul and I have Apollos and I have Cephas and I have Christ, these schisms that existed in the church. First uh, Corinthians 3, 2 and 3, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? In other words, if there's enmity and strife, discord, right? The idea of discord... Uh, among us as believers, are we not walking like mere men? In other words, like unbelievers. Aren't we walking according to the flesh? And then Titus 3.9, But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable. 
and worthless. He doesn't want us to be disputing with one another, having strife between one another. That's not what God has designed. There's supposed to be unity among the body of Christ in general, but for sure within a local church, you should have unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And in fact, I don't have the I don't have the scripture up here, but I'm pretty sure there's a Bible verse that says, "Inasmuch as it's up to you, be at peace with all men." And that's the design that God has for us, not to be uh, in discord, enmity, all that kind of thing. There's not supposed to be jealousy. We just saw jealousy mentioned there, but these are some other verses. Acts 5:17. But the high priest rose up along with all his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. So it's presented in a negative way here, isn't it? Rose up along with all his associates, the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. Jealousy. Acts 13.45, But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. They got jealous because people were responding to the message that Paul was given. Right? They were jealous. Part of the reason they were so outraged is because it, they, they, the disciples had a following. People were following them. And, they're, and, and they got outraged. I don't have the passage right here, but they were outraged. They're like, man, if, if these guys keep going like this, everybody's going to believe in Jesus. You know, we've got to stop it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so James chapter 3 Verses 14 through 16, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, you do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. Do you think when those passages we were looking at there in Acts, don't you think there was jealousy and selfish ambition involved? Yeah, both were present in those disorder and every evil thing so jealousy is something that god does not want us to have it's a fruit of the flesh or a product of the flesh if you will outbursts of anger if we talk about anger this is actually uh there's there's anger that's in your heart and there's anger expressed and this is the idea of anger expressed right you actually have an outburst of anger ephesians 4 31 says let all bitterness and wrath is described here as wrath that's Anger expressed, bitter, uh, bitterness and wrath and anger. That's why you have both. One of them is out uh, expressed. The other one's in your heart. Clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Now, interestingly, what is the context of this? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The previous verse, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So this sort of thing, bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, and malice, all of these things are part of what we do when we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Instead, verse 32 is how we should be. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Which means even you didn't deserve to be forgiven, did you? Colossians 3.8, but now you also put all these things aside. Anger, rage, that's also the anger expressed. Meanness slander and filthy words from your mouth right all of these things are supposed to be put away put away from us and uh that ra again that rage that's there is those out that outbursts of anger that's what that's talking about put them aside put them aside we're talking about we had the laying aside of sin the laying aside of the old self now we see that we're supposed to lay aside these things disputes second corinthians twelve twenty. For I am afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish and may be found by you to be not what you wish, that perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced. So he's concerned. He's concerned about the Corinthians. This is 2 Corinthians. This is where he's already written to them. And there's actually a letter in between 1 and 2 Corinthians that's not recorded in Scripture. So he's, he's been communicating with them, and yet he's concerned that there's still all kinds of sin problems going on there in Corinth. And disputes is among the things listed here. We've seen that in other passages that we've looked at as well. Disputes. And that fits right along with the enmities and discord, doesn't it? The disputes. 
That's not how we're supposed to function. We're not supposed to be at each other's throats. Dissensions. Same sort of idea, right? Romans 16, 17. Now I urge you, brethren, watch out for those who cause dissensions and create obstacles contrary to the teaching which you learn and stay away from them. Dissensions. What, do you, what, do you, what, do you, what does that mean to you? Creating divisions, right? Creating those who are opposed to the teaching of the church, for example. Uh, causing dissensions. That's one of the things that I, I, I watch out for in this local church. I want to make sure we don't have cliques, if you will. One group over here that holds this and one group over here that holds this and have dissensions within the church. That's not a good idea, right? You don't want to have that within the local church. Well, I like Pastor Cliff, but he teaches this. And Second Peter 2.1, you have a dispute with me, that's fine. If you have a dispute with the Word of God, that's another issue. Second uh, Peter 2.1 says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will see, secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Heresies. So the closest thing that I have seen to that sort of occurrence in, in my experience it was when we were at Austin Bible Church. And we had a guy that showed up at the church, and he was making a big deal out of the King James only, right? He was calling Pastor Bob a heretic because he used the New American Standard Bible to teach from, and he said the King James is the only valid English translation of the... Now, that's a, he was the heretic. That is absolutely not true. They're all just translations. They're all just translations, there's not one that's God-breathed and inspired. You've got to go back to the original Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic to get God-breathed and inspired. Everything else is just a translation. The thing I love about that whole thing is the original King James, the one that was done, the very first King James, it actually included the apocryphal texts. Did you know that? The, the texts that were from the 400 years of quote-unquote silence that people talk about in between the Old and the New Testament, they included that stuff in there. Because, you know Why? Because that was in that actually was in the in the Septuagint, and so they brought it forth from the Septuagint into the King James Bible. So it, was it perfect? Was the original King James perfect? No, those texts shouldn't have been in there. But anyway, that that's the kind of thing you can get. But people will come along and introduce heresies, and that's a product of the flesh, not something from God. And you know what? I hate to do it, but I'm actually going to have to stop. We got a guest speaker next hour, and I'm going to need to stop. But we will. Continue talking about these things. We'll look at envying. We'll look at drunken sprees. We'll look at excessive partying next time. Uh, but important thing to remember, as I've talked about before, I just want to remind you of this, that when we're, we're engaged in, in the things of the flesh, we might not do all of these. In fact, so you might be involved in enmity and strife of some kind, but you're not involved in drunken sprees or, or excessive partying. That might not be what you're doing. So when you look at this list, you're going to find that when you're engaged in the things of the flesh, you're going to be looking at a subset of this list. However, when we get to the fruit of the Spirit, it's no longer a subset concept. And that's why the whole thing is, this is listed as in the plural. There's multiple things, right? In the plural, this is a list of things that are products of the flesh. When you get to the fruit of the Spirit, fruit is singular. And it means that everything that's talked about, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right, go through the whole thing. Gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, I've left something out there. But anyway, the point of all of this is all of those things are produced in you when you walk by means of the Spirit. All of them. When you, just a second, when you fall into sin, you may not do all of the things that are in this list. It's only going to be a subset. Yes? Yep, we looked at that. Flee from idolatry. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. And then 
Yep. It's really the same it's really the same thing just expressed in different terms. Flee, right? Well, the, according to the First Corinthians passage we looked at, all the sins are outside the body except for sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is a sin against the body, right? That's what he says in that passage. Right, it's the same idea. Sexual immorality, adultery, fornication, any sexual sin is uh, against the body, right? But all of these sins, the idea of fleeing from something and, or putting it aside, it's, it's actually the same concept just expressed in two different terms, right? I push, put it to the side. I, I, I flee from it, right? It's the same. It's the same idea, right? Y'all understand? That's the same concept. I'm going to put this aside. I'm not going to have anything to do with this. I'm going to flee from it. It's the same thing, just expressed in different terms. The, 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 the distinction that was made was that that there's one set of sins. The sexual sins are against the body, and the rest of them are not against the body. It doesn't mean that you haven't committed a sin. You've still committed a sin when you become angry, when you uh, when you uh, have disputes, when you have jealousy. All of these things are sins. What Paul is saying is that sexual sins actually damage your body or against your own body. They're actually, they actually harm the, the body itself. No, it doesn't say that. He says, oh, flee. That's not the same thing. No. Yeah, that's the same thing as putting it aside. Get away from it. Right? Put it aside. Get away from it. That doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that it's against your body. The only one that's against your body is the one that he explains as such. He says, every other sin, that's very important. He says, flee immorality. Every other sin, including idolatry. Every other sin that man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Every other sin, anger, jealousy, envy, strife, all of those are outside the body. But sexual sins, sexual immorality is a sin against his own body. It's very clear in that verse. I th- does that make sense? Yeah, that's what he's saying there. But the idea of fleeing from a sin or putting a, putting a sin aside, you could even use other, ang- uh, other language. Turn away. Avoid. All of those things express the same idea, that you want to get as far away from sin as you can. Run, run Forrest, run. That's why I said that. You've got to get away from it, right? But it's the same idea. All of that's expressed the same way. We'll come back next time and we'll look at the rest of this list. We'll review that list and we'll look at the rest of it. But let's go ahead for now and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the progress that we've been able to make in this study. And thank you for this wonderful passage in Galatians 5. It teaches us so much. And the real bottom line of the lesson is that you've actually made every provision necessary for us to walk in a manner worthy, to walk in a way that's pleasing in your sight that brings glory and honor to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we have all the tools available to us. We have everything we need in order to have a victorious and successful Christian walk. We fail only because of the bad choices that we make, because we do have volition and we can make bad choices. We can succumb to sin when we turn our eyes away, when we look at the temptation and give in to the temptation rather than resisting by the power that you've given us. So we ask that you would help us to follow the example of Christ in the wilderness and resist the temptations at every turn to abide in him, to walk by means of the spirit, to use the power that you've put within us, that you've given us to be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. We have every tool available. That's what this passage so, so really vividly describes for us. So help us to focus on the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Help us to focus on the walk that you've intended us to walk and help us to not give in to the lust of the flesh. We ask all of these things in Jesus Christ's most precious and holy name. Amen.